Well, good morning again. Thanks so much for being here with us and spending part of your Sunday worshiping with us and learning from God's Word together. My name's Corey. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor here at GFC. And even if you've, you think we've met, please come introduce yourself again because I'm still getting used to seeing just like more than this half of people. So I still forget. So please come say hi um, and remind me who you are because I've only been here so long and just trying to figure this out. It's been a lot of fun, but it's great to be with you. It's great to uh, come into the second week of our summer series called Confronting Christianity. We kicked this off last week. We're spending nine months, or sorry, nine months, nine weeks this summer. Nine months of summer. That does sound good, though, like if we all just moved to Florida. Um, nine weeks this summer talking about this series. And again, this is not a series that Pastor Andrew and I or the elders and I came up with. This is a book that came out in 2019 by Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin, and she tackles these topics, some of these topics. And um, Pastor Andrew is going to be going through some of these topics with the teens as well. And so last week we started off with the question of whether we would be better off without religion. Now these aren't questions necessarily that Christians are asking actively necessarily, but people outside of Christianity often ask them about religion or about Christianity. But there have been times maybe in your life or maybe there will be times in your life where you do ask questions like this. And so one of the questions I started off with last week is, is challenging our faith bad? Is it bad for us to lean into our doubt, lean into our questions, and really address that? And maybe you've been in a situation, I know I had been in situations growing up where I had some really real questions, and I was not sure of what I should do, whether I should ask that question, whether I should just let it go, whether it was appropriate to ask the question. And I would say that I... I want us more than anything to ask questions. I want us to dig into our faith and figure out whether we really believe what we say we believe or not. When we have doubts, I want us to lean into those and ask more questions and figure it out. Don't push it down. Don't set it aside and don't move to a place where maybe we forget about it or we move away from in a negative direction or it just begins to kind of fester inside of us. Let's ask the question. So let's engage with some of these difficult questions and see what scripture has to say about them. Because just because the world asks the question means we should then find an answer. And we should look at what scripture says. I'm going to warn you, today's question is not an easy one. So if you're thinking about maybe church is going to be an easy conversation today, that's not the case. So we've got to be ready. We've got to lean in and get ready for the question today. And the question today is, does Christianity crush diversity? Does Christianity crush diversity? I said last week when we started to have the conversation about whether uh, we would be better off without religion, what happens a lot when people ask that question in America is it automatically the shift then turns to Christianity because Christianity has been a part of our nation for a very long time. We would say we one nation under God is a phrase that would be used. Um, many of our founding fathers had some connection to faith. And so Christianity is kind of sometimes connected to being American, or at least the most prevalent that we see, the most prevalent uh, religion that we see in our nation. And so people start to ask the question, well, is Christianity diverse? Is there any sort of desire for diversity to be a part of it? Is it something that actually looks a little more white and Western than other religions? And this isn't exactly the easiest question to ask. And so we have to dig into it a little bit, and sometimes what happens is, this can happen, that Christianity and being American kind of get linked together. 
And some have said that was a bad thing. Some would say that's a good thing. Some would, you know, go back and forth on that conversation. And so there's just kind of this tension around this idea of Christianity in America and the idea of diversity and what we do with that. Now, some of us might kind of be sitting back and thinking, um, like I would be tempted to be, that that's just not the case, that I don't see myself as wanting any less diversity or uh, anything like that. But there's some statistics that Barna came up with in the last couple of years as they've leaned into this that might be a little bit eye-opening. The first one is this. White evangelicals have more negative views of immigrants than any other religious demographic in America. So when we look at all the religions represented in our country, statistically, white evangelicals have more of a negative view of immigrants than any other religion in America. Here's one that goes a little bit of a step further. More than half of white evangelical Protestants think a majority non-white U.S. population would be a negative development. So here's the thing, right? This, it's, it's a difficult topic to address. It's uncomfortable when we read these things, and many of us hopefully would say we would never want this to be true. But here's the reality. Statistically, these things are true. And so when we think about what Christianity is in America and how we interact with people who uh, are different than us or who look differently or speak differently or from other countries or whatever that might be, there's attitudes within Christianity, specifically white Christianity, that would be against people of other cultures becoming part of who we are. Now, again, let's say that we're just saying well, that's not me. I don't feel that way. That's not my attitude. That's not the place that I find myself. But here's what I think is also true, and I think you would agree. Reputation matters whether it is factual or not. Let me give you an example. I'm just kind of played out. This is just off the top of my head. I came up with it, right? Let's just say that you had a daughter that was getting ready to go on her first date. And so she comes home on like Wednesday or Thursday that day, that from school and has this conversation with you and your wife or you and your husband and says, this guy named whatever, let's just call him Johnny. Johnny says he wants to take me out on a date Saturday night. And so you have a conversation and you decide, okay, like, yeah, we can, we can let that happen. That's good. Where are you going to go? What's going to, you know, you're going to go out to dinner, movie, whatever, ice skating, all that kind of stuff. You figure it out and it's all set and ready to go. And then on Friday night, you decide that as a family, you're going to go to the high school football game. So you go to the football game and your daughter's hanging out with her friends and you're hanging out with your other parent friends and just kind of chilling and then there's conversations that happen and so the conversation comes up you know she's getting ready to go on her first date with Johnny and blah blah blah. and some of the other parents sitting there say well you didn't hear about Johnny did you and you say what do I need to know about Johnny and they say well on last weekend Johnny came home drunk that's what I heard from ex-parent now here's the truth you don't know whether that's true or not you weren't there to see whether he came home that way. You heard from this parent who heard from this parent, right? So there's kind of a whisper down the lane thing happening. But does that impact the way that you feel about your daughter going out with Johnny the next night? Yes. Whether you think it's, whether you know it's true or not. So here's the point, right? Whether it's true of us personally, these statistics I shared or not, there is a view and there's statistical proof for some of that view that can be attributed to Christians in America. So now we have a responsibility to recognize that there is a reputation 
whether it's true or not, and to say, what are we going to do about it? How do we respond to that, and how do we make sure that this isn't true of us personally or the environments that we are in? There's two parts of this conversation that I want to have today. The first part of the conversation is for Christ followers, people that would say they are Christians. And, and so if you fall into that category, we've already started to have this conversation. We, we've talked about the statistics. We've looked at maybe the reputation that's there and people asking this question of us. And so we have to lean in and say, if there is any proof of this, not just for me, but in what I belong to, how do I move forward in that? And how do I make sure we move in the correct direction? There's another side of it. There's a second side to the coin. For anyone that's maybe listening in for the first time or you're joining the conversation online because you found us on YouTube or something like that and saw what we were talking about, and it's for us to be able to say to people who aren't already Christ followers that we recognize this, that we see the problem with it, and we want to move in a positive direction, that having Christianity be a place that is not diverse is not something that we want, and we're going to actively pursue diversity instead of staying non diverse. So that's kind of the two sides of the coin today. And in order to start this conversation from scripture to see what Jesus had to say about it, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. And so you can open your Bible, you can turn on your phone, you can go to our website if you want, and you can go to our follow along tab. Um, a reminder on our follow along tab, you can ask questions. So if I say something today that makes you want to ask a question or even makes you like angry and you just want to tell me, please feel free to fill out the question. We would love to have a conversation with you about it. But in Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25, and this is a portion of scripture, a story that many of us in church world have heard before. In fact, even people outside of the church have heard of it, and there have even been laws that have been named for this story. And so just before we get to the story, there's an interaction that happens between Jesus and one of the experts in the law. And so Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, it says this, one day... An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor. This is the heart of this section of the passage. Because the man wants to figure out who his neighbor is. He wants to know, essentially, I put it this way, what are the borders on who I need to love? What he was trying to figure out was, who does this rule actually apply to for me? Does it apply to my family that lives in my home? Does it apply to the person who lives next door or across the street? Does it apply to the person in the next cubicle? They didn't have cubicles then, but you might. They might, like, who's in the next cubicle? There, there's the conversation. He's trying to figure out where's the limit? At what point do I need, can I stop loving people? Or at what point are people in a category where I just don't need to worry about caring about them? So Jesus goes into a story in verse 30. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him there, but he also passed by on the other side. 
Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and with wine and bandaged them. And he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. It's interesting when we read the story. Maybe you've heard the story a lot. But he, Jesus adds that word, the despised Samaritan. Why would he do that? Well, if you don't know the history, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with one another. They would go out of their way not to travel through their different areas, right? It's kind of like if you had to go to New York and you didn't want to go to New Jersey, so you kind of swung out around. You, di you just didn't want to go there for whatever reason. I will drive through New Jersey. It's not what I'm saying. I don't like it, but I'll do it. But you just didn't want to go there. So they stayed away. They wanted nothing. This was actually the easiest understanding of racism for Jews and Samaritans at that time is what Jesus is bringing up. And so when he gets asked, who is my neighbor? What are the borders on who I need to love? Jesus demolishes the boundaries of love for his followers. He says there, there aren't any boundaries. There aren't any borders that should stop you from loving someone else. I would assume in this conversation what would have maybe happened is people would go around and like if you had allowed other people to answer the man's question, like who, who actually is my neighbor? And Jesus kind of opened it up to the crowd. And he said, what do you guys think? Who, who counts as a neighbor? And people would maybe raise their hand, right? Family, friends, whatever. You're going to go, and someone would go, Samaritan. And someone would go, not Samaritans, not those people. They're outside the realm. We don't have to worry about them. They're not our neighbors. No, don't worry about those people. We don't like those people. But what Jesus does is he draws the Samaritan into the center of the story and says, this person, as a Samaritan, was a neighbor to the other person. He says, you should be like the Samaritan. No one would have wanted to hear that. And yet he says, this is what we are called to do. And sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, what, what Christians do or what followers of Jesus do, and I think too many times, we find ourselves as Christians keeping to our own demographic. Now, this isn't a new thing. And in fact, I want to put up a quote that's not a new quote. It's been around for a long time. It's pretty famous from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said this. He said, we, face, we must face the sad fact that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing, in Christ there is no east or west, we stand in the most segregated hour of America. And this was in the 60s. Now, let me say something tr that's true for sure. I love our church. I Listen, I, it's been seven months of awesomeness. I still kind of like pinch myself sometimes that Pastor Tim called me last July and had this conversation with me. And I love everything about what I get to do and being your pastor and being up here and working with Pastor Andrew and all of those things. One of the things that is, is not my favorite is that there are a lot of people that look like me around here. I wish that there were more people who look differently than me. 
And I'm not saying that was a that's anybody's fault or anybody's problem or whatever, but it's just a reality. I would love for the diversity to be there that we're going to talk about that Scripture shows us in just a little bit. And it's not a thing that is new news. Right? Martin Luther King said it in the 60s. And still, this is something that happens today. And so what's true of Christianity, not just for us, but just as a whole, is we still sometimes find ourselves keeping to our own demographic. It just happens. It's easy to do. One of the issues, I think, with this, is kind of like an, maybe an underlying issue that maybe I've experienced, is that what happens is missionaries to foreign countries are celebrated, but being a missionary in our backyard is ignored. There were times in college that I got to travel because I was doing missions work. So I got to head to Germany and Austria, and I got to head to Chile. You've heard me talk about this before. And, and it was a celebrated thing. Our church was so excited to send us. It cost a lot of money. People gave money to send us. There was a party when we left and a party when we got back. But when's the last time that we threw a party because somebody shared the gospel with their neighbor down the street? When's the last time that we said there's somebody that's different than us or they live differently than us or they're from a different place or whatever, and we just went and we had that conversation with them and it was awesome? We think about sometimes going to other people who look differently than us and we get on a plane and go there and it's like, yes, and then we kind of get back here and sometimes it's not our first option or it's not what we choose to do. So here's what I did last week. I just did it this week too. I loaded you up with kind of the hard stuff on the front end, right? We've been talking about kind of the poor ways that we've moved forward with this, not just our church, just Christianity in general and some of the statistics. But here's the amazing thing is that no matter what's happening in Christianity in America, God is still moving around the globe. This is a quote from the book that we that I've talked about that's a, that we're basing this uh, sermon series off of. It says this, Today, Christianity is the largest and most diverse belief system in the world, with roughly equal numbers of self-identifying Christians living in Europe, North America, Latin America, and Sub-Saharan Africa. So North America just a quarter of what's going on around the world. And what we see happening in other countries is pretty amazing. By 2060, sub-Saharan Africa could make up 40% of the world's Christians. So they could go from about 25% to 40%. And this one's even more crazy. China, which is currently the global center of atheism, could have the largest Christian population in the world by 2025 and be majority Christian country by 2050. You can't be a Christian in China. The church, you can't do what we're doing, right? You have to have a house church that's a secret and then kind of like subvert. Like I've known people who were missionaries to China. They weren't allowed to tell me they were going to China because they didn't want anybody to figure out and the government to figure it out and it'd be out there. They're like, we're going to somewhere over there, right? We can't tell you where because of that. And yet it's growing. When we see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and to be a Christian. It shouldn't be defined by a group, a singular group of people or a singular identity or even other things like a political party. And in fact, when we do connect Christianity to um, being American or political party or whatever it might be, the problem is that American Christianity is not biblical Christianity. 
That's not the way Jesus called it. And what frustrated people sometimes, what would have frustrated people that heard the story of the Good Samaritan would have been the fact that Jesus didn't just reach one group of people. He went to the Jews. He wanted the Gentiles to know. He wanted the Romans to know. He wanted prostitutes to know. He wanted tax collectors to know. He wanted carpenters to know. He wanted fishermen to know. He wanted men to know. He wanted women to know. Everybody got included in that. Everyone was who Jesus wanted to speak to because everyone needed to know him. And I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. When Christianity reflects something other than Jesus, the world notices. And so when Christianity picks up scripture and goes, look at what the way that Jesus was to all these different people and wanting to, he wanted to share who he was with them in every aspect of life. And then they look at Christianity and it doesn't look that way. They call us on it. And they ask questions like, does Christianity crush diversity? Because too many of you keep to your own places. And it doesn't reflect what Jesus seems to be calling us to do. It doesn't reflect what we're going to read Christianity should be like from Scripture. I want to go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, just briefly. And Paul, as he writes to the Colossian Christians, he says this, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This is the cool thing about Christianity. It's why it takes root around the world. One of the things we know about India is that they have different, they have a caste system. Right? You might have learned about this in school, where you've got the elites at the top and you've got kind of the untouchables at the bottom. And one of the cool things about India is the easiest class to reach with Christianity is the untouchables. Because when they hear about Jesus and someone that loves them and cares for them and wants to know them and he's the God of the universe, they're like, yes, sign me up for that. Because they've been told their whole life that they were nothing, that they were worthless. And knowing Jesus elevates their identity as a person. And we see, when we just look through history, the way that Christianity has traveled throughout the world, right? It started in the Middle East. It started with 12 Jewish men. And it moves out. And they, they, because of the Romans and because of the way that they, the far-reaching that they, they were able to do, it was able to move throughout all of the Roman world. And then it came to India and it came to Africa. And then it went and just kind of took hold in Europe. And then it made its way across to us. And it's just been spreading throughout the whole world. So the picture of Christianity that we're supposed to know is a picture of Christianity that will reach anybody and everybody, no matter where you are and no matter what your ethnicity is. And that's supposed to be the goal. And ultimately, when the goal is realized, and John gives us a picture of this in Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, it says, After this I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hand. In verse 10, And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from the God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. How do we get there? The way we get there is by our willingness to go tell every person from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's how this happens. Now, yes, God makes it happen, but he sends us to do it. And so our commitment to see this as true is what causes us 
to reach for that type of diversity even here today. You know, when I gave the quote from Martin Luther King, I there was a hymn in there. And if you've gotten to know me a little bit, I'm not a big hymn person, but I went back and I wanted to see what this hymn had to say. And the hymn was called, In Christ There Is No East or West. And so the third verse of that song I want to put up on the screen for us. It says, Join hands then, people of the faith. Whatever race you may be, all children of the living God are surely kin to me. And the problem he saw was, we sing, all, pe- all children of the living God. But are they represented? Are we together on Sunday mornings? Are we worshiping God the way that things look in Revelation 7? Now that's a perfect look, right? We're not going to get there until heaven. But the goal is that we would live a life of Christianity or live a life of following Jesus that would desire that to be true even today. Here's what I know. This is, this is not an easy undertaking. And biblical diversity is both a gift and a challenge. It's a gift because when we do get to interact with people that look differently than us and worship differently than us, it's awesome. Going to other countries that sing differently and worship differently and dance when they sing and do all this stuff that we, we don't do, it's awesome to experience. And it's a blessing to see those things. And it's a gift to learn how to worship God from other cultures. But it's also a challenge because sometimes the non-diverseness of our situation is just because of where we live. It's a reflection of where we're at and the demographics that are around us. And so when we look at Scripture and we go, we want what's true in Revelation 7 to be true here. We're not going to get every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? But can we get every demographic represented in New Holland? Can we get every demographic represented in Elanco? Can we reach those people? I think that goal is attainable, and that goal is something that we can reach for. So as we wrap up our conversation on this, I have have three things for us to lean into and think through as we ponder this question and think through what it means moving forward for us personally and as a church as well. The first thing is this, that we would put people over preference. What it means to reach people that look differently than us means we have to do things that they would want to do. It means that maybe some of our music changes a little bit. Maybe some of the way things look change a little bit. Maybe some of the way that we plan services changes a little bit. Maybe some of the events we do change a little bit. And even in saying that, sometimes we... We get a little bit, there's like friction there. There's like, but but I like what we do, right? I'm used to what we do. I'm comfortable with what we do. And I get that. I do. I understand it. But when we put people that we're trying to reach over our preferences, that means we can build relationships with them. Let's go back to the story we read. The preference of the first two men that came by the guy who was beat up was to just keep on walking. And that's what they did. They had places to go, people to be with. They had to go. The Samaritan came along. He might have had a preference. His preference might have been to not spend the night at an inn with a stranger who just got beat up. But you say, you know what? This person needs help. I'm going to put my preference aside and give him what he needs. And so there's times where we're going to say, 
We're going to put our preferences, the way that we're used to it, the way that feels easy, we're going to put that aside in order to reach other people. The second thing is this, that we would listen well to those who see things differently than you do. One of the worst things we could do is when we get asked this question, right? If somebody came up to you, non-believer, and asked you the question, isn't Christianity just non-diverse? Does it crush Christianity? Does it want to keep diversity out? One of the worst things that we could do is just kind of blow them off and not answer the question. Because we feel attacked by the question or because we're frustrated by the question, because they see things differently than us. But if someone comes to us and says, I think Christianity crushes diversity or isn't open to being diverse, we have to listen to why they say what they are saying. One of the things that I try and do is I try to listen to other faith leaders that are not in the same context as me. So I listen to podcasts by pastors who are in the South, who are in New York, who are out West in California, all over the place. And we just, you just listen to what they're saying and how they're interacting with scripture, how they're figuring out what it means to be the church today. And sometimes I don't agree with them. I don't agree with the decisions they make or what they say, but I'm hearing them out and kind of filtering through scripture what they're saying and just listening to what they're saying. And I really try and do the same thing personally with friends of mine. Carl, who was here two weeks ago, and Brandon, who was here last week, are two of the men that I lean into that way. I've sat and had conversations or at least engaged with them in texting and said, how do you perceive this? What what do you think about this? What, What should I know? How do you see this differently than me? And I listen to what they say. And when I listen to what they say, I hear things differently because they've experienced life differently than I have. And they see Christianity and what the church is differently than me. And it helps me understand what I need to do differently in order to reach people who are like them. The third thing is this, that we would do our best to make the church today reflect worship in heaven in Revelation 7. That means being missionally minded. That means doing things that are going to reach different people. It means engaging with our community in a way that says anyone and everyone is welcome to come and be a part of what we do here. Again, I get it. We're not going to get every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in New Holland. It's not going to happen. But we can get every demographic that's represented here. We can be the type of church that wants to see that happen. So I said earlier, there's two sides of this conversation having today, right? There's the side where We say, as followers of Jesus, we recognize the statistics I just shared, who I shared earlier, about a half hour ago. We say, what are we going to do about that? And we commit to being Christ followers who are wanting of the diversity that we see represented in Scripture. There's the other side of the conversation that says, if you're somebody who's not sure about Christianity, who's frustrated with Christianity, who's maybe even a Christian and about to walk away. I would say that my commitment would be to say that we're going to move our reputation as far in the other direction as we can because we want the diversity that we see represented in Scripture. It's not an easy conversation, is it? It feels personal sometimes. It feels like unfair sometimes, feels too political sometimes. All I'm saying is, 
we should want what we see in Scripture. That's the end result. And if that means that people from other countries are going to come in and we get to share the gospel with them, let's do it. That means that people who challenge the way we think are going to have conversations with us, let's do it. Because we get the opportunity in every one of those situations to share Jesus with them. And Jesus didn't just hang out with one group of people. He hung out with a lot of people. And in every one of those situations, his goal was to make sure that they knew that God loved them. And that's what I want us to be as Grace Family Church. It's what I want us to be as individuals, as we live as Christ followers. I don't know what that means necessarily. I can't tell you what tomorrow looks like. But I can tell you that we will make decisions that encourage people who aren't already followers of Jesus to want to connect with us and to want to worship with us. Because that's what we see represented in Scripture. Would you pray with me as we wrap our time today? Lord, I can't wait for the day when we see Revelation 7 come true. I can't wait for the day where we would get the opportunity to worship with people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. Lord, I ask that as we address this question and we think about whether Christianity crushes diversity and we think about what that means and how we figure that out, I pray that we would be a people that would actively work to see the opposite be true. That we would actively work to see diversity as a part of Christianity as the goal because that's what we see in Scripture. And we can't change the world. We're not going to do anything tomorrow that's going to upset those statistics and change everything, but that we could be a positive force for that in our own community. And I ask that you would give us the wisdom and the ability to know how you are calling us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.